Hello, I'm delighted to welcome you to Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with Brian Johnston. In a moment or two, Brian will be bringing us another talk in this 11-week series called A Crisis of Identity. This week, as usual, Brian looks into the Bible to see what it has to say about our Christian integrity when we consistently identify with what is right or righteous. So, let's go to the days of the first century AD with Brian to learn more. Thanks, John. Christian believers living in the Roman colonial city of Philippi lived in a location that was fiercely loyal to the Roman emperor. Many of its citizens were ex-soldiers and proud of the achievements of their emperor and the glory of empire. At civic functions, the amphitheatres would resound with the cry, Caesar is Lord. Such was the cult following the emperor had. It would certainly have been an intimidating atmosphere for anyone there who was walking to the beat of a different drum. And there were some who were different. We know from the New Testament history book, the Acts of the Apostles, that a church of God was established right there, resulting from one of Paul's missionary travels. At least one businesswoman, one ex-slave girl from whom an evil spirit had been exorcised, and an ex-jailer were part of it. Paul's later Bible letter to the Philippians contains one of the New Testament's three citations of one of Christianity's earliest creedal statements, namely, Jesus is Lord. Paul later reminds those same believers that they are citizens of heaven. His words were carefully selected, of course, under the Holy Spirit's guidance. These words would have resonated with Christians living in Philippi. Their neighbours were citizens of a Roman colony and lived by the values of faraway Rome, devoted to its emperor. But the Christian believers themselves were a colony of heaven, for that's where their true citizenship lay, and they lived by the values of heaven's throne, devoted to the exalted Jesus of Nazareth. There was no common ground between the conflicting cries of, on the one hand, Caesar is Lord, and on the other hand, Jesus is Lord. Christians at that time had to select which values they were going to identify with. In a sense, it's no easier today, even if for some of us the stakes are not life and death, at least not in outright physical terms. All around us, the world tries to squeeze us into its mould. We're influenced by our peers and by internet content as well as by music and media. If we don't exercise care, these things can subtly desensitise us to the holiness of the God we serve. There have always been two moulds since the beginning of Christianity. The world's mould, which tries to shape our thinking with worldly values and beliefs, that's found in Romans 12 and 3, and the original mould of Christian teaching, spread from the first by the apostles of our Lord and still identifiable from the Bible. You find that spoken about in 2 Timothy 1 and 13 and Romans 6 and 17. And that's the mould that tries to shape our thinking to the mind of Christ. Again, Christian believers on Jesus Christ need to overcome this potential crisis of identity. Notice, we talked a moment ago about two contrasting ways of thinking. Worldliness is a state of mind. A past generation thought of it as a list of things to be avoided, but it's not so much what we do as what we think. 
the Apostle John urges his original readers, who were Christian believers, not to love the world with its values and beliefs. Generally, he tells us that he wrote his gospel so that you may believe. In other words, it was a message to non-believers. But he tells us he wrote his first letter, that's the one found near the back of our Bibles, for a different reason. It was so that you may know that you already have God's gift of eternal life. That means that the themes he covers, which are doing what's right, maintaining our beliefs and loving others, are not the way to find forgiveness, but they are the way to be reassured that we have found that forgiveness already. John's letters, as distinct from his gospel, were written to those who were already believers on Christ. There are what we might call three lies that the Apostle John warns us about. We need to avoid these if we want to display a genuine Christian identity. The Apostle John proceeds in 1 John to draw our attention to three false claims some believers were making in his day. The striking difference between the claims they were making and the conduct they were displaying betrayed a very real crisis of identity. When someone who belongs to heaven lives as if this world is his or her home, he or she has an identity crisis. Which confessional cry do we subscribe to? Which set of colonial values? Which mould shapes our thinking? Are the claims we make true or false? What were those three false claims made by the Apostle John's first readers? They were failing the moral, doctrinal and social tests of genuine Christianity. They failed the moral test because they claimed to be enjoying fellowship with the Lord, but were actually living in the darkness in terms of the activities they were engaged in. This was John's challenge to them. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, 1 John 1 and 6. It's a challenge that those deeply committed to the Christian faith and serving God's purpose in their lives still face today. There's the real danger of emotional depletion. Many in positions of Christian responsibility run on empty emotional tanks, brought about by continual output in terms of teaching and leadership, always being on display as a public figure, facing criticism of their ministry and the pressure of relentless expectations. If when we're emotionally depleted or hurting, we don't find something God-honouring to fill our emotional tanks with, we'll be vulnerable to something that isn't. Do we build fences around our thought life in relation to, for example, such things as we view online? These are the challenges of claiming to have fellowship with God in the internet age. Now we arrive at the second claim some of these early Christians were making. John says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. That's 1 John 2 and verse 22. What appears to be happening here is that there were those who were claiming to possess the Father while at the same time denying the deity of the Son. This was to fail the doctrinal test of authentic Christianity. It is to claim to possess the Father, but then deny the deity of the Son. It's as if John is very sensitive to this inconsistency, 
since in his writing there is a special emphasis on the close working relationship between father and son in bringing to glorious fulfilment the eternal plans of the divine counsels dating back to before the universe was even called into existence. That leaves us to consider the third lie, or the third claim that some were falsely making back then. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, the Apostle John writes, then he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's 1 John 4 verse 20. There's now the third lie, claiming to love God but hating our brother. Those who were guilty of that were feeling the social test of authentic Christianity. In fact, in his fourth chapter, John has some important messages to give us about love. Three facts stand out in verses 7 through 12. First, we're told, it is God's nature. The next pair of verses, verses 9 and 10, declare very positively that God manifested the love that he is by sending Jesus. Since God is spirit, and so John reminds us that no one has or can see God, then it's by his actions that God shows us that he is love and supremely by the act of sending his Son to be our Saviour. And then in verses 11 and 12, the Apostle John shares the staggering truth that the love that we express for one another as Christians is the completed witness to God's love. Overall then, love is what God is invisibly, it's what he showed in Jesus, and now it's shown in the completeness of God's purpose in Christians now that Jesus has ascended back to heaven. Our attention is then drawn to a special feature of this perfected or completed love. Perfect love casts out fear, we're told, in verse 18. But this is a text that's often used way outside of its context, as someone with good intentions tries to add biblical support to some well-intentioned encouragement to overcome any kind of fear, maybe even a fear of spiders. But fear in this instance is specifically fear of punishment in future judgment. This judgment is not applicable to anyone who has received Jesus Christ as a personal saviour for the forgiveness of their sins. What's more, those who've received Christ have entered into a relationship with the God who is love, and love should now be typical of them. It's in this sense, the sense of the different characterization of believer and unbeliever, that we find the statement that tells us fear and love are mutually exclusive. As we say, it's because these emotions are here being used to typify non-Christians and Christians respectively. But in closing, we come back to the third claim and the social test, namely that it's hopelessly inconsistent to claim to love God if we don't love our brothers. God cannot be seen other than by our love. And if we can't love the image of God in our brother, we certainly can't love God, and neither can his love be seen in us by others. For those failing these three tests early on in Christianity, there must have been a definite crisis of identity. They were living a lie. They were saying one thing, but their actions and behaviours betrayed them. As the popular poster slogan says, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be sufficient evidence to convict you? Have you
The transcripts of all the talks in this 11-part series are available together in book form with the title A Crisis of Identity. If you'd like a copy, just write in by post or email and we'd be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today as well. And I'll be giving you the details shortly for contacting us. And the talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. So, to obtain the book, ask for A Crisis of Identity and you can email or, as I say, you can post. And here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. And you may be interested to know that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off-air by audio podcast or mp3 versions. If you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com you can browse the list of previous talks and you'll see it's been sorted into categories so you can find what you're looking for. So it's been great to have your pleasure of your company today and I hope you enjoyed Brian's talk. And Brian will be looking into the Bible again next week at another element of our Christian identity. Do we see ourselves as wonderfully made? So I hope you'll join us. And until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, from David, our singers, and from me, John. So cheerio, and may God richly bless you. Amen.